Okay, we are actually at our very last section of Revelation. We have been going through the 22 chapters, and I'll tell you what, uh, we are finishing what is a wonderful study of this great book of Revelation. The study is it's God's Word, and be able to examine it and test it out. It says in even the very first chapter, like about the third verse, what a blessing it is for all those who read, hear, understand, and uh, to heed to prophecy of that particular book. What a blessing it is. I trust that it's been a blessing to all of us. Uh, we've seen the descriptions of Christ And, of course, Revelation uh, is about revealing Christ. He is uncovered to show who He really is and uh, reveals the home that we'll be living in for eternity. That's exciting. And uh, like I said, I could stay in that section for a long time, but I guess we must move on. But uh, you can imagine that brilliant city that is awaiting us. I'm I'm, uh, just... I'm giddy about it. And just looking at 21 and 22 just made me that more excited about it. We know that there's a lot of difficult symbolic language there that are that's kind of hard to understand, and there are things that we probably don't get. But at the same time, this book was meant to be understood. God wrote it through the Apostle John, and it definitely is giving uh, Christians all the hope that we need. And it's a blessed hope to think that he, whenever He comes back. So the key is in reading this book that we've found is keeping our eyes on Christ. That is where our attention must be constantly. Christ is revealed in this book. He is manifested in His blazing glory. And it's all about His glory. Now, And that gets a lot of people excited and they start thinking, when is Christ going to come back? And some people down through history have come up with some ideas of the day that He was going to come back. Even though Christ said that uh, He didn't even know when He was here on earth, only the Father knew what day or hour that would be. In our text today, we have a warning to those who would be tempted to add or subtract. And that isn't necessarily going along with what I just said whenever people make predict dates, but sometimes it's pretty close to adding. And some of those people that have added to Scripture by having their own books and Bibles and are equal as far as their eyes are concerned, or even higher in authority than the Bible itself, Uh, We've seen that in many cults. And uh, that's one of the reasons why God would leave this one warning. Right at the end of the book, people can have a temptation to add or subtract, even though it's eternally serious to tamper with God's Word. Some people run roughshod over God's Word today. Uh, some get so fascinated and excited and take so much dealing with the return of Christ that 
they want to really know when that is. Now, we're all to look for Christ to come back at any time. He could. You know, that's called the eminence of Christ. But at the same time, we know full well that Jesus said that we don't know that. And if you go back to the early days of the church, it's kind of interesting to see, even in the early church fathers, some of the early people, they gave dates of Christ's return. One was uh, Hippolytus of Rome and Irenaeus, and they'd said that the uh, time that Christ would come back would be 500 A.D. Well, we look back on that, and that was certainly wrong. You can take it up through that time, and of course the Dark Ages, and there were popes, and there were bishops, and uh, people inside the church that made predictions. A thousand A.D. was a big number for most people for prophecies. So you can you can imagine what happened there. You know, like uh, when we uh, turned to two thousand. A.D., we know that there were a lot of uh, different uh, ideas from people, and people were doing prophecy dates on that. And we remember the all-famous Y2K, and that scare, and uh, people thought that Christ was coming back then. But, you know, we we love the Puritans, and uh, even one of the Puritans that is probably one of the most famous, not the most famous, Jonathan Edwards, I probably would say would be the most famous for Reformed theology, but Cotton Mather would be uh, be one. And he was quite a Puritan minister, and I'm not trying to run him down, but to show you that even people that uh, we would agree with, be in hearty agreement, have um, made dates, and one of them was Cotton Mather, believe it or not. He said 1697 was going to be the date. Uh, he miscalculated, so in uh, 1716 was the next revised date by Cotton Mather. And uh, he was wrong, obviously. So 1736, he made a prophecy that that would be the year that he would come and it would be the end of the world. Well, that didn't happen. Uh, 1836, John Wesley, uh, founder of the Methodist Church, He foresaw that the millennium beginning this year that he lived in, according to Revelation 12, 14, was in 1836. Well, needless to say, of course there have been more and more after that, many cultists. 1936, Herbert W. Armstrong, Worldwide Church of God, used to be on TV all the time. And thank the Lord he got me out of uh, following that movement. I almost fell into that and uh, almost fell into Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses. We had those people coming to our door all the time. But the Lord had something different in mind and he put it into my brain to start checking this out for myself. And he, you know, through reading scripture and then reading some helpful books, I realized that I was going the wrong way. But anyway, in 1936, Herbert W. Armstrong said there was going to be the rapture. He changed the date three more times. I think one of them was 1972. He made a 1943 prediction. 1975, he made a prediction. Uh, He was wrong again. Uh, Pat Robertson, you might remember his television show, 700 Club, in 1982 is whenever he made his prophecy. 
that the end of the world would come. 1985, Lester Summerall made a prediction. And then the all-famous 1988, where there was the book that came out uh, in that year, and it was called 88 Reasons Why. Some of you know of it, some of you don't, and it's probably best that you don't, but here's the story. I was in a bookstore at the time, uh, working in a bookstore, Christian bookstore, and that book uh, just flew off the shelves every day. And... So they kept ordering more and more, and it uh, came out to be probably hundreds of thousands of that book was sold. It was a little bitty paper-thin book, <laughs> but people would buy it. It was really cheap, but 88 reasons why. Well, that was supposed to be in September 11th through the 13th. Gave himself a little bit of leeway there. <laughs> but obviously, and for you that are familiar with that one, you know that that actually failed. So you know what? He had the audacity, like a lot of other ones to do, oh, my calculations are wrong. He goes to October 3rd, just a few days later. Uh, he was wrong again. So you would think, okay, that would be enough. I better not do this. 1989 in September was going to be the return of Christ. And uh, that came and it went. And then he uh, wrote another one called, I Predict... 1994. <laughs> uh, anyway, that was uh, another year that uh, Harold Camping predicted that there would be a rapture in September 1994. Uh, he was wrong. He calculated wrong. He moved it to October 31st. Yeah. Uh, didn't happen. Then in March 1995, he predicted that would happen. You'd think, okay, that's it. Well, Ten years ago, which was 2011, he made another prediction that it would be in 2011, the year of the Cardinals and World Series champs. And he was wrong there. Like I mentioned, uh, a lot of these guys are kind of loony and off the wall, but you have people like one of my favorite theologians of all time, Jonathan Edwards. It's been said that he predicted that Christ's thousand-year reign would begin in 2000. But a lot of people in our time uh, made that prediction too. Uh, they've all been wrong. Pat Robertson, who I mentioned earlier, then comes back and predicts 2007 is going to be the year. And uh, he wrote that in his 1990 book, and so he was—he played a little bit safe. What is that? 17 years that he gave that. People are still doing. There's a guy by the name of Kent Hovind, and uh, he said, and he clarifies that it's no way that it's certain, but he says in 2015 he made this prediction that 2028 is the most likely date for the rapture. Gives the date, you know. And uh, he says, I would be willing to bet on that. Something of that nature. Anyway, so much for that. I won't give any more of those and bore us. But it, I just found it interesting that a lot of people have these prophecies that come from the Lord and they don't come true. And that actually makes, in a sense, the Lord look really bad. Because he told that man that, and the Lord didn't come through. And uh, a lot of people get, you know, very leery of these people with their prophecies, and they don't come true.
And so I can kind of equate that with uh, our text a little bit today, although it's that's probably not the fairest uh, meaning and interpretation of it, and we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, let's turn to Revelation 22, 18 through 21. And whenever I first saw this, I realized that, boy, I could have put this with the last text that we did last week. <laughs> but I know we kind of ran out of time. I still went overboard. I'm always trying to cut it down to like a, an hour. And I just can't seem to do it. So I thought, oh my, there are four verses here, and I'm not so sure if I can do 20 minutes on it. Well, I don't know about that. I'll, I'll try. But you guys know better now. We'll read it here. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, You are a great God. Thank You for giving us this book. It's a book about Christ. Seeing Him in all of His ways. In His grace, mercy, love. In His judgment, His wrath upon sin. And we see the Lamb of God. We see the Lion and those excellencies, Lord, stick out in our minds so clearly. We have nothing to fear if we are trusting in this Word, this Word of prophecy, the whole Bible, the book, the sacrifice of the Lamb, who resurrected, ascended to heavens, and will come back. We have certainty, 100%. You have told us we believe it. In Jesus' name, Amen. first thing we look at is the warning and it's in verse 18 verse 19 this verse makes you think of truth I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book and then it goes on talking about the one who adds or the ones who takes away what the warning will be to them uh, the prophecy of this book uh, first of all, the Revel book of Revelation, that's the context. But it does apply to the whole canon, the whole text of Scripture. It's all truth, every bit of it. God not only gives truth to us, but He is truth. We can trust His Word because He is truthful in every facet. Everything that we read in this book, we understand to be without error, 
totally true in every way. We can take it at face value. There really isn't much today that you can really take at face value, can you? And know it to be true. We want to cherish this. We are to guard it. It's the most precious thing that we can have in all of this world that we in. You know, it will last forever. We know that we are familiar with that passage about the flowers fading, the grass withering. But the Word of the Lord last stands forever. That is truly amazing. He says, the earth and the heavens can pass away, but the Word of God is here forever. And we know, look at Revelation, yeah, all of this is going to burn up one of these days. Everything, even the things that have been around for a few hundred years, will go. Everything. And of course, this earth that's been around here for a few thousand years, right, will be burned up and the sky, the atmosphere, all the what we think of the heavens there will be burned up according to Revelation, according to Peter. But there will be new heavens and new earth. So the most valuable commodity is the Word of God. That's the only thing that's going to last except for souls. And that's us and even unbelievers. Their souls will obviously according to Revelation and many other texts, will go to the lake of fire. So we cannot take this lightly if it's the only thing besides souls that will continue to exist. Nothing else will. The Word of God. We do not play it loosely. We don't take it lightly. It is faithful and true as we've seen in Revelation. See it in other places. If you were to turn back earlier in chapter 22... Uh, it says that, uh, I do believe, in six verse 6, He said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent His angels. So you've got an angel testifying. you got John testifying. Here at the end, uh, right at the end of where we read today, we have Jesus testifying. When you testify, you are to give the truth and nothing but the truth. What you've seen, what you've heard. Uh, of course, in this sense, Jesus is testifying, giving a testimony of really of Himself and the things that are going to happen. From chapter 6 through 19, you deal with the judgments that are to come. And then... You think of the kingdom living eternally with Christ. So He is the true one. Jesus said He is truth. So you cannot separate Christ and truth. I think of John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. The Word was God. So, in, and that's Jesus who is God. We see that the truth of the Word of God is with Him. He is truth. He says in John 17 in the great prayer that Thy Word is truth. So, 
I repeat and repeat, but it's said all over Scripture that this is what it's all about. Uh, what is the word? Or in the Greek, logos, it's the divine expression. God gives the truth of who He is through the logos, through the word. People can have experiences in this life, and I don't rule out experiences entirely. God works through those in a lot of different ways, but this is where it is all at. And our experiences can lie to us. Just like some of those men can be, that we mentioned earlier, that said all these prophecies, they can really believe it's true. And they make a prophecy, it's bold-faced, it's out there for everybody to read, and then they're wrong. That, um, you know, we can't trust men. I can't even trust myself. But I can trust this, and that is what it is all about, isn't it? God shows who He is. He gives a divine expression by the Word of God. You want to know who He really is and what He really wants and what He's going to do? It's all right here, folks. A lot of people go out after all the people are saying certain things. And right here, He expresses Himself to us. And He finishes it with a book called Revelation, which means an unveiling and uncovering of Christ. What? else more would we want and people want revelation 23 they want the latest of what somebody has said and either it's going to be something that's already said here or it's going to be something outlandish and you can say where did you get that at you see we have to have proof of this and i'm thankful for that i've had people come up to me and say where did you get that at and I, I better be able to say what God says in His Word this. Because if I do a, uh, my own opinion, it's really of no value. So I don't want to give my opinion. I want to give an interpretation of what I tru truly think is right. And if I'm not sure on it, I would rather say here's what I think or even leave it alone. Um, but it's, there's always others that will be in agreement with that, and that's why we must study. And study to show thyself approved. This is what we study, the truth. I know you guys have heard this over and over, but it's interesting that right here at the end, he gives this warning, and we, you know, it's like God's word is sanctified. It is so holy. And we should not ignore it or try to make it what it's not. Uh, he shows in here what it's going to be like in the future. We, how can we even test that? Well, we can't test it and go back. We can see what other passages are saying maybe something like it. But Revelation 21 and 22 said a lot of things that we never see in anywhere else in the Bible. He revealed what things are going to take place in the future all the way to where our home is at. And seeing Him face to face, that's exciting. Jesus is the truth. 
Jesus is God. He represents God, as it says in Hebrews 1. The Word cannot be tampered with because it will reflect the very character of God. So to human beings, the character of God is at stake. We know that He is true and He always will be and He is holy and He is righteous and He is true. But if His nature is misrepresented, then it says in Romans that let God be true and every man a liar. God is true. So there are other scriptures with this warning about adding to God's Word. The Word we have is sufficient. So we turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2 in the law. This is given to Moses. And it's dealing with Deuteronomy here. But I also think it means further on as we look at this that it will be God's Word. We're going to see it through the law and the prophets and the writings and then we see it in the New Testament. The same thing. You shall not add to the Word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. He says, don't add to it, don't take away from it. I have given you a commandment. It's for you to be obedient to the commandments. Or the Word of God is meant for our knowing who He is, being trained in righteousness, right? Living a life. There's a reason for this Word. Living the righteous life. In Deuteronomy 12.32, get another one dealing with this. Whatever I command to you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to nor take away from it. He knew men that would be, he knew that there would be men tempted to add, subtract, just do whatever you want with the Word of God. Whatever makes it easier for you to live that kind of life. You can just, whatever you don't like in there, you can just pitch it out. Proverbs, here's the writings. Proverbs 30, verse 6. Of course, we can go into the Psalms where there's many, many verses dealing with that. Psalm 119, the whole Psalm there deals with that. But we'll look at Proverbs chapter 30, verse 6. Do not add to His words or He will reprove you and you'll be proved a liar. So really, God's character, His nature is not going to be wounded in Himself. But to the people that are hearing it from people that uh, is in error, they can be affected. But He says, He'll reprove those people who do that. They'll be liars. So we've seen the law, we've seen now the writings, which is dealing with the Psalms, the Proverbs, then the prophets, Jeremiah chapter 26, verse 2.
Thus says the Lord. I like that. Don't you guys like that? Thus saith the Lord. What, what do you say, Lord? Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah who have come to worship in the Lord's house. All the words that I have commanded you to speak to them, do not omit a word. Whatever Jeremiah is going to say in front of them, he says, don't omit one word. Everything that I'm saying right here telling you, you say it. Perhaps they will listen. Perhaps. And everyone will turn from his evil way that I may repent of the calamity which I am planning to do to them because of the evil of their deeds. And you will say to them, Thus saith the Lord, if you will not listen to me to walk in my law which I have set before you, to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I have been sending to you again and again, but you have not listened, then I'll make the house like Shiloh, and this city I will make a curse to all the nations of the earth. The holiness of God will leave, and there will be a curse to you and all the nations. That's how important God's Word is. It's the top of the line, isn't it? Don't touch a word. Don't add to it. Don't take away. The warning forbids any kind of alteration. You say, well, how come different translations read differently? That's what they are. They're translations based upon God's original Word. Going back to Hebrew, to the Greek, Aramaic in there somewhat. And faithful men take those inspired words and write them down. Basically, up until the early 1900s, there was really only one, basically one translation, and it had been changed five times. You say, is this wrong? No, we're talking about the English language. Otherwise, you need to go find some uh, either Latin books that were uh, translated by, way back in the 400s, 500s. Uh, try to figure that one out. Unless you took Latin, and I'm sure even if you did, it wouldn't make much difference that you still wouldn't be able to understand it much, maybe. I don't know. But there's the original Greek, though, before that, and the original Hebrew. The Bible is God's Word. We have it all. Everything's there. We have translations that help us read it in our language that we speak today. Aren't you thankful for that? Many different translations in the English language. Some I would prefer over others. There's some that are my favorite. There are other ones that are called translations and they're really not translations. They're almost like commentaries, to be honest with you. They can be helpful to certain people, but if you're reading and trying to get word for word and trying to get a meaning, it's they kind of fail in that area. But the idea is to get the Word of God to people and they can understand it that's what God does he makes it with it now the church has always had false prophets false teachers and I like to spend a lot of time on false prophets false teachers because you go throughout the New Testament Paul is always warning of them but I believe it's good for us to give a little bit of a review on it there are heretics that have been rampant who knows what their motives are? I think a lot of times it's money. They write a book, get on TV, they get fame, uh, they get 
fascinated with the spectacular. They get all caught up in it. And so they have some kind of special revelation from God that we don't get, but they get. They're special people, evidently, that hear right straight from God Himself. And, of course, one of those men was Joseph Smith. To start with here, that's easy to understand. He's of the Mormon faith, the Latter-day Saints. They have their own writings and uh, three kinds of books that are inspired. They also believe in the uh, English language Bible, but yet I think their writings take precedence over the Word of God. It, ultimately, that's the authority, but Joseph Smith gave them revelation that came right from God. God gave this to me. So therefore, it's true. So if everybody says God gave this to me, then whatever they're saying is true. And they could be saying two opposite things. But God gave them that. Well, he had the wrong God, didn't he? He does not have the one true God. There was another one named Charles Taze Russell, and he started his own religion also. It's called the Jehovah's Witnesses. We're all familiar with, with them. Uh, the whole idea is that they got a revelation of the way that the New Testament is, and they have their own writings too, but they have the New World Translation. And, of course, right in the New Testament, though, there's many of them that stand out that are absolutely wrong compared to our New Testament. But in John 1, 1, probably all of you are familiar, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was a God... Uh, that's not right. In the Greek, it's ha theos, which is a definite article there. The God. He was the God. The one and only true God. They uh, contradict themselves right off the bat because they said, well, Jesus is not God, but he's a God. But then you find out that they say, well, there's only one God. Well, that's true. But we got a problem now with Jesus. Well, he's a lesser being. He's a son of God, so therefore he's... He is a God like judges and rulers are, that kind of sense. He is a God. Well, they just one little word, it really changed it, didn't it? That is called tampering with God's Word. He will be judged for that, and all who follow will be judged severely because that is not true at all. That's, that's a lie, isn't it? And they stand upon that about the deity of Christ. Well, we're familiar with that. Uh, how about Mary Baker Eddy of Christian Science, which is not Christian and it's not science. <laughs> and uh, there she had a revelation from God. And she write, has all of her writings they used to have in Jeff City. I don't know if they still do or not, called the Christian Science Reading Room. I guess you go in there and read all of her writings because she had special prophecies, special writings to do. And, of course, there's uh, Ellen G. White of the Seventh-day Adventist. And she had these writings, and what she wrote was equal to the Bible. Matter of fact, a little bit more authority than the Bible, really. Um, and at any rate, she got special revelation, and she added to the Bible, so did uh, the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Christian science, you go on and on, look at some of the 
uh, you know, the uh, Eastern religions, the cults, they all have their own writings that are equal to the Holy Scriptures. And we think of Deuteronomy chapter 18, and here Moses is being called a prophet by God. And uh, as we see in... In 18, he is raised up as a prophet and God puts his words in his mouth. And then he is given the commands to the people. Now in verse 19, it says, It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, which is the same way as saying, He who abides in my word, the, he who remains in God's word, means they read His Word, they study it, they act upon it, they do it. They, they are His, right? But if you don't listen to His words, He says, would you speak in My name? I myself were required of Him. But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in My name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. What happens to a prophet who does one false prophecy? He's to die. Claims to be a prophet. Makes his prophecy, doesn't come true. He dies. You may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? How are we going to tell the difference? When the, when the prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is, in the thing which the Lord has not spoken, the prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Is nothing. So, quite a warning there that that's how God takes His Word so seriously that if anybody comes along and says that God said this and it doesn't come true. And you'll notice, they're always going to put a prophecy actually that's in a very short period of time. Hopefully it'll be in their lifetime because it'll show that, hey, they were right. You know, and they can get all the, uh, the uh, I guess you could say, uh, the, the awards for people. Hey, he was right. Look at this. Did this. Nobody's ever been right. Matter of fact, the more people keep naming dates, it's going to delay the Lord's return. <laughs> I say that in humor because He's going to come when He's going to come, what He's planned. But boy, if they would just shut up, <laughs> just, just stop, stop. Now, He says, "I testify to everyone." He's giving evidence, isn't it? Uh, he's a witness. God is in that sense. I'm testifying who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Now what's this book? Well, this would certainly without a doubt, speaking in the context, would be the book of Revelation. That's at least what it starts with. It definitely is a prophetic book. The words of the prophecy of this book uh, and most often to prophesy or uh, pro, uh, prophecy uh, is dealing with proclaiming. A prophet is one who proclaims God's words and sometimes it gives future. Very often it does. Old Testament, New Testament. Revelation has been a book of prophecy, hasn't it? 
And so the words of the prophecy of this book, we've seen that it was in a three-part outline. In chapter 1, he gave that right away. It's saying the things that have happened, the things that are occurring now, and the things that will be will be in the future. Much of it is in the future. It's a prophetic book. It's not something that uh, was written and uh, about a former time. And then it's like, wow, this is the second coming of Christ. Isn't that future? And to some people, he already came. I think that is cultic. He, uh, you know, he came spiritually in our hearts. Well, yeah, that's right. He came to live here. But we're talking about a literal coming of Christ. And uh, so there's much more to come. It's not all been fulfilled yet, as some would like to say. But also, not only the prophecy of Revelation, I think in a sense, I think we're safe to say that it would also mean the whole Bible. Not only is Revelation being said, don't add to Revelation. Don't, take, don't put 20, chapter 23 and chapter 24 in there. Or verse 22 and 23 of, of chapter 22. Don't do that. It's done. It's finished. There's nothing more to be read as far as Revelation is concerned. But Revelation actually is... He puts this, this warning at the end of Revelation because the book of Revelation is at the end of little r, Revelation. God is not revealing any more. That would really make some people very angry. But if it does mean He's revealing more, what do I do with this warning? Or, I must go around gathering all over the world, whatever it is, get it off the internet or whatever, something that somebody said that came from the Lord, and write it in here. Because I want everything that has been revealed. Well, it says that we have been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. John, the apostle, which was the last apostle, closed what is later to be called the canon. It's the rule. It's the measurement. This is the end of God's revelation. In the Old Testament time period, he took it up to 400 B.C. and he quit revealing his word, the written word. And then Christ came and revealed Himself and manifested Himself in the person of Christ who walked here on earth. And then He had the apostles write about Him in the Gospels and His death and burial and resurrection. And then we have the history of how the church grew very early, very quickly in Acts, and then we get great theology books that Paul wrote in like Romans, all those collection of books, and then we see Peter writing and John writing here, first, second, and third John. We have of course then Jude, a half brother, James, a half brother of the Lord. They saw the risen Lord, all of them. There was a real resurrection, a rising of the Lord. 
they saw it. We have not seen the risen Lord because he says, I will come back. Now, you know, it's not that, you know, we, you know, we see Christ in the sense of we know who he is, but his literal coming back to the earth in the physical body, that is what he is always talking about. That is the <laughs> second coming. He will come back. Otherwise, if he keeps coming back, there's second and third comings, a hundred comings, five thousand comings. What is what? Well, that's spiritual comings. It's a spiritual coming when, when uh, we're born again, right? Uh, but we're talking a literal sense here. And that's what we have to take in, in this literal sense. I, I think what you have is a close of a book where he no longer has to reveal anything. We've got more than enough. Do you know everything in the Bible here? No, you don't. Stick your nose in the Bible and get your teaching and your truth there because we have a resident teacher that lives with us, the Holy Spirit, who helps us understand these deep truths of God. Now granted, there are a lot of things that can happen and it's good to warn the church, look at all these things. This could be the beginning of, of the end. It could be something close to the tribulation. We're not in the tribulation. Uh, it, it is not even close to that yet. Now we have our own little tribulations. There's a lot of things going on. But it sure could set that up. And it could happen very quickly. But the thing is, God surely knew that the book of Revelation would be the most assaulted book ever in the history of mankind. And even the church has been guilty of assaulting this book with terrible interpretations, or worse, to write it off and say it's not in the canon. That's taking away, but I wouldn't so go so far to say that somebody says that would necessarily go to hell, even though the warning here is very, very, uh, I think, uh, eye-opening. Uh, I think it is definitely saying something of how serious God's Word is, he forbids any alteration, and I say that that goes for all 66 books. We saw what God said in Deuteronomy, that's the law. What He said in the Proverbs about adding, and also in Jeremiah, that's the prophets. That's the whole Old Testament. And then you look at Revelation, which represents the New Testament, which represents the last apostle. There are no apostles today in the sense that of like these 12. People can call themselves apostles, or we're apostles because we're the ones sent. And there's apostles in a loosely used way. But the apostles that wrote Revelation are not here. Ephesians says that the apostles were the foundation of the, of the church, Christ himself being the cornerstone. They gave us what we needed in the New Testament. And that is why when we read this, adding and taking away would be very, very serious. Any part of God's Word. It would be like a deliberate falsification. 
a distortion of the teaching, misinterpreting, doing it in a deliberate way. And that's what the cults do. It's uh, I think Matthew Henry, I was reading, uh, said it's like a flaming sword here, what, what the warning is here, to guard the very canon of Scripture from profane hands. It's such a fence, a, a fence a, like a wall that God has set about His law, His Word. We are guardians of this truth. And we're to hold it in the highest honor. So, what about this? It says, God will add to them the plagues which are written in this book. Remember the plagues in 6 through 19? Wow, those are severe. The most severe that has ever happened in human history. If you take away from the words of this book, God will take away your part in heaven. The words of this book, God will take away His part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. Every exciting thing that you have seen there, if you are adding to or if you are subtracting, taking it away, I'm going to take you away from this. Now that sounds pretty, uh, I think, pretty crazy. And you say, well, who is He talking to there? Is he talking to believers? Well, I can tell you right off the bat, a true believer will never tamper with God's Word. Amen. You want to see what a true believer is? They hold God's Word up highly. They would never twist it, pervert it, add to it. Anyone who knows God is going to treat Scripture with respect because they know that this is the truth of God. The Word of God is absolute. It's true. It's faithful. It's permanent. It's authoritative. It's sufficient. It's effective. It's determinative for our salvation. That's what the Word of God does to us. And it changes us and changes us and keeps changing us. And you could say, well, it's interesting that he has this kind of warning. He says, don't even, when you get tempted to add something to it, don't do it. It indicates several things to me. It indicates that men would be prone to do this to Scripture, to tamper with it. We all know that that's happened. It's tampered with, changed. And of course, you can look at the liberal world and the whole idea of higher criticism. There's a lower criticism that, that examines the original languages and as far back as you can get. And... They want to make sure, you know, these, these can be scholars that are actually faithful and true. They can still be liberal ones, but there's higher criticism, and that's really where they even doubt that any of this is the Word of God, or there's Jesus said only seven words that really were the Word of God, or those kind of statements that are made. They don't believe in 
virgin birth. They don't believe in the resurrection of Christ. They don't believe the authority of Scripture. Resur- you know, I mean, death, burial, resurrection, the whole gospel. You go on and on with it. Uh, salvation by grace. They don't believe in sin. But yet they study this and they try to show how wrong it is. Well, they would deny its validity. That's really not valid. And another reason is that the Holy Spirit wants to make a final sweeping statement. That's what God is doing here of saying all of the Word of God is together and is now done. And as we get ready to finish here within the next ten minutes, we are going to see that that's, and as we've seen here, it's really the finish. He says, I'm done revealing. When I come back, you're going to see what the final, ultimate revelation is. We're going to see Him as He is. Okay. Now, believers do not adulterate the Word of God. So it cannot be a believer, and we already know that uh, believers do not lose their salvation. Cannot. Too many scriptures. Don't have time to go through all that. So it would be an unbeliever who is a po- is actually posing as a believer. Most often like the cults who say they're Christians and then they go and write their own books, start their own religions, and it's not anywhere near what Christianity is really about. They deny the deity of Christ. Well, there's a promise here. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things... Who's who's testifying right now? This is Jesus. Going back to verse 18, it's Jesus. Say, Well, how do you know it's Jesus? Back to verse 16, I, Jesus. And He was saying the rewards and the blessings and then the, uh, the ones who are outside that are not going to heaven. And all in this context, all the way here in verse 20, it says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Has He come yet, Christians? No. What's the blessed hope? That Christ will come back. If we don't have this as our belief, you might as well throw it all away. Because what are you shooting for? What's the end goal here? The whole purpose of God is to bring everybody into perfection, into glory, so they can see His glory. Jesus says this, and this is the last thing that Jesus said that's written in Scripture. It's most fitting. Yes, I am coming quickly. Take it to John who is listening here, who is writing this down. Think of all that he has seen. Think of the the very revelation of who Christ was in the, the picture, the portrayal of Christ in all of his glory. And then think of Chapters 2 and 3, the churches. And what Christ said to those churches. And then in 4 and 5, we see the throne room of God. And then in, and we see all the glory that's involved there and the precious stones that He compares it to. And then in chapter 5, what do we see? We see 
the lion and the lamb, getting ready to open the seven seals. And in 6 through 19, we get the seals, the seven seals, it's the judgments. We get the trumpet judgments, we get the bowl judgments, the, the uh, judging of the government in the world, the government uh, or, or false religions, uh, all the different judgments of all the nations, anybody that has not trusted in Christ. And then we get the return of Christ. You get the marriage supper of the Lamb also. I've got to speak that in there. 19 and then 19, He comes on His horse and He judges the world there. And then we get the kingdom, the eternal state, all that goes with it. And then that eternal city and new heavens and the new earth. And He's saying, especially on, that, on the heels of 21 and 22, I'm coming back. I'm coming back quickly. Whenever I come back, it's going to happen so quick. I'm going to be here. And over the course of 2,000 years, that is really pretty short time for God because a day is as a 1,000 years. I'll be back quickly. That's what He wants the church to do. And that's what they've done for 2,000 years. They've been waiting for Him. Every church age, church period, everybody has looked for that return. And that's right. Just be ready. Be watchful. Be alert. And here we are. 2,000 years later, and we're waiting just like the church has always done. Only we're saying, maybe it's us. <laughs> that we just don't even die, just go right up there to be with Him. Jesus told John this. This is the last thing that He hears. John has got to be going to Himself after seeing all this. He's seen heaven, folks. He has seen Jerusalem, the golden city. The, the diamonds and the wall and the pearl gates and the, the absolute golden streams. Uh, and the, what do you have? You have that stream going down through that golden street and the tree of life. He's seen that and it's like he's saying, let's go now. <laughs> and Jesus says, don't worry. I'll be coming back quickly. I'm coming back. And you'll get to go there. Don't worry. I'll be here. You know what John tells him back? Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Hey, John, I'm coming back. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen is what? It's, you know, uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, Do it. Everything in Revelation is going to happen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Oh, you know, when when you think of that, he's saying, so be it, Lord. I'm coming quickly. So be it. Let it happen. He could have said now. (laughs) But the Lord already said, I'm coming quickly. And he says, this is just incredible. This is how he ends the book. I'm coming back. One last verse. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Amen. 
the word has to be one of the most important words in all the heavens and earth. This word grace. It's a shame that I spend one minute on grace. We have a name of our church called Grace Community Church. And we want to reflect His grace. That's what it's all about. If it's not for His grace, we're not saved. We can't merit anything. We have nothing good to show Him. Only Christ. You know, everything we have been blessed with, we owe to God's grace. It's all about grace. I feel like I'm really cheating grace here, but we've talked about it many times. What a way to end it. How else would you end it? The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. I mean, He. this is how we're saved. This is how we live by grace. Nothing more should be more desiring to be in this world but to, to, to be prepared for the glory of Christ that is to come that's in the other world. So we need that grace to be prepared here to live this out. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 11. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth and righteousness dwells. And He says, by, by grace we understand that. Look in verse 18, the last verse of Peter. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what we do now. We are growing in grace. To Him be the glory both now and to the eternity. Amen. Wow. Remarkably incredible, the flurry of revelations given in 22 chapters. One vision after another vision after another vision, John got. And soon it will come to an end and Christ will be here again. What grace! The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Put an end to the state of sin, sorrow, temptation. Lord, gather Your people that are living in this world now. This world of evil and darkness. This world of present evil, as it says. Take us to heaven where there is a perfect peace and purity and joy and finish your purpose that you made before the foundation of this world as it comes to consummation and fulfill your word. In your Son's name, Amen.